0: again everyone it is Nurse Mo and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Today we are on episode 97 and it is a pharmacology lesson today and we'll be talking about albuterol. But before we get into that as always let's take a quick moment to do a listener shout out and I'm probably going to say this wrong but it looks like it's joyed 24 is the um, name attached to the review that was left. That's J-O-I-D-E. So if that's you, I apologize for saying, your, um, saying that incorrectly if I did. But Joyd says, I appreciate all you do. My friend recommended your podcast to me. Glad I took the advice. I am so glad you took the advice as well. And I sincerely hope that this podcast is helping you not only learn and learn more with less stress, but also learn while you're doing other things, you know, out taking a walk or even just putting away the groceries or commuting to class or clinicals, you know, really maximizing your time and making the absolute most of it. So if you're listening and you want to be on a listener shout out, all you got to do is uh, go to wherever you get your podcasts and review the podcast. And hopefully it's been helping you as much as it's been helping uh, the listener who got our shout out today. Okay, you guys. So let's talk about albuterol. So I'm in the process of developing a pharmacology course for you guys. How exciting is that? And My goal with this course is to make pharmacology easy and not so overwhelming. I feel like a lot of you, from what I've been, you know, you email me and you comment in the Facebook group and whatnot, many of you are kind of left on your own to figure pharmacology out without a lot of guidance. Either your school doesn't have a dedicated pharmacology class and pharm is just mixed in with med surge. Or you have a pharmacology class that's taught by a teacher who may not be that engaging or engaged, um, or your class is totally online and you're really lost. You know, there's a lot of different reasons. Pharm is really hard and it's my hope to help simplify it for you guys because it doesn't have to be... As difficult as I think a lot of nursing schools make it out to be, yes, it's an important subject, but we're not in pharmacy school, okay? We, we're we in nursing school, and we need to know the nursing things. So I've got an acronym. I love acronyms. Those of you that have been around for a while know that. And I've got an acronym that I think can help you focus when you're studying medications on the absolute nurse necessary info that you need, okay? Okay. And bonus, it's super easy to remember. So the acronym is DRUGS, except there's two R's. That's the only difference. So it's D-R-R-U-G-S. And if you can go through the DRUGS acronym with all the medications as you're learning them, then you'll most of the time, I think, have the key nursing-related data That you need to know. So we're going to put it to the test and we're going to use that acronym today as we learn about albuterol, which is a really cool medication that you will see used a lot in the clinical setting. And some of you might even use it at home as um, one of your prescribed medications that you use regularly. Okay, so we're going to start with the first D in our drugs acronym. And that first D relates to drug class. So the reason you want to learn what drug class a medication is in is because Classes of drugs will have a lot of very similar properties and a lot of very similar side effects, a lot of similar usages. So, it's a great shorthand way to learn about medications. So, if you know nothing else about a drug, but you know its drug class and you know the basics of that drug class, you already know something about this medication. So the drug class for albuterol is that it is a beta-2 agonist. Now, you guys will also see something called the therapeutic class. So there's, you'll see sometimes two drug classes with your meds. You'll see like a drug class and a therapeutic class. And I find it's a little bit helpful to know them both. So if you wanted to know the therapeutic class for albuterol, it's a bronchodilator. Okay, so the therapeutic class... I find that sometimes it's a little bit more descriptive about what it does, but don't worry, we'll get into that in a bit. Not too long ago, did we do an episode on beta blockers? Yes, we did. It was episode 78. I just went and checked for you guys. So if you want to go really deep into beta blockers and all of that stuff and beta agonists, it's A lot of good key info is in the beta blocker episode because I talk about what beta agonists do in order to talk about what happens when we block them. So that is episode 78, if you want to dive into that. Uh, Right now, we will talk about that beta-2 bronchodilators, which is, you know, we're beta-2 and we're a bronchodilator. These medications, which albuterol is one, act on the smooth muscle of the bronchioles. And they do that by stimulating the beta-2 adrenergic receptors in the lung. And if you want to get real technical, this leads to an increase in that cyclic adenosine monophosphate, that C-A-M-P, that you might remember from a class. If you don't, don't stress about it. If your instructor asks you a question about cyclic adenosine monophosphate, they're being mean, okay? What you need to know is that beta-2 bronchodilators... Are going to act on the smooth muscle of the bronchioles by stimulating the beta 2 adrenergic receptors in the lungs. This does lead to an increase in that CAMP, and this increase in CAMP is what relaxes smooth muscle, and it also inhibits the release of mediators that are associated with that hypersensitivity response. So the shorthand version is beta-2 adrenergic receptors- are going to cause relaxation of the smooth muscle and an inhibition of hypersensitivity. The most important part is the relaxing of the smooth muscle. Albuterol is considered a selective beta-2 agonist. And when we say something is selective... There's beta-1 and there's beta-2 receptors. When we say something is selective, it has more of an affinity towards one or the other, beta-1 or beta-2. So we consider albuterol selective beta-2 agonist, though it does have a little bit of beta-1 effects, but those are considered pretty much minor in comparison to its effect on those beta-2 to receptors. And this will come into play when we talk about albuterol side effects a little later on. So remember, there's two R's in the drugs acronym and the first R stands for Routes, because you'll find that a lot of medications have multiple routes and some just have one very distinctive route. So albuterol is most often administered as an inhalation medication, and that will be given either through a nebulizer in the hospital setting or if patients at home are using it through that inhaler, and that's for self-administration. Though sometimes you'll see the inhalers used in the hospital for self-administration as well for the Most part, it's given by the respiratory therapist um, as a nebulized medication. It can also be given intravenously, given IV. It can be given as a tablet or an oral elixir. So there's a lot of different ways albuterol can be given. But for the most part, how you'll be seeing it used and how you'll be seeing it on your exams is as that uh, inhalation medication. And the second R in our DRUGS acronym is regular dose range. So the reason I want you to know regular dose range isn't so much to memorize exactly what it is. I mean, of course, if you're farm professor or your med surge professor absolutely wants you to know the exact dose for a drug. I feel like they're wasting your time asking you to memorize information that you can easily look up. But I just want you to have a general idea of what the range is so that if you see something ordered that's vastly different, those little alarm bells go off that cause you to take a closer look and investigate further. You know, that's the difference between knowing that 25 micrograms of fentanyl is a totally normal dose versus if you saw 25 milligrams, which would be a thousand times too much fentanyl. Okay. So I'm just talking about the basics. Of course, defer to what's going to be on your exams or what you have to know for clinical if they do want you to memorize information that nobody ever actually memorizes. Okay. So the regular dose range for nebulized albuterol, That typical dose for adults, and I want to say like kids over 12-ish, is 2.5 milligrams. And that's usually given three to four times a day. Now, this is the reference uh, from my Davis drug guide for nurses, I believe. So that's where I got this information. Maybe the information is different through other resources. But just know in general, it's in milligrams, and it's not that many. And it's multiple times per day. Sometimes it'll be scheduled, and other times for patients, it'll be just PRN as needed for um, that airway tightness we see in the asthma exacerbation. We'll get to that in a minute when we talk about uses. So if your patient's using an inhaler and they're self-administering their albuterol, the typical dose for adults, and I think it's children over four years of age, is is measured in how many puffs off the inhaler that they take. So it's typically two puffs every four to six hours. And I believe the safety max is 12 puffs in a 24-hour period. This can also vary based on your patient, but just know in general, it's about two puffs every four to six hours. So if you see an order for 12 puffs every two hours, you would know, "Mm, I think that's a typo. I think that I need to investigate this. My little nurse alarm bells are going off. Um, And in case you were curious, each puff of that medication contains about 90 micrograms of medication. So remember, this is just the regular dose range. There are always going to be exceptions. And again, I just want you to be aware... That, um, you know, be on high alert for things that could be vastly wrong. If you see an order or an exam question that's just so out of range that you do look into that a little more, um, a little more closely needs to be investigated. Unfortunately, mistakes do happen in the clinical setting. And it's my experience that the nurse is always the one that gets blamed for it. So, okay, I'm not going to say always, but I'm going to say most of the time, so it's your job to always check that everything's good to go before you actually give the medication. Okay, so now we have the fir- uh, the first vowel in our drugs acronym, our only vowel, I guess, and that's U, and that is for uses. What is this medication used? to treat. So albuterol is used most commonly to reverse bronchospasm, and that will be in people that have restrictive airway diseases like asthma and COPD. It can also be used for patients with bronchitis, and it can be used for patients that are having that exercise-induced bronchospasm. There's another use for albuterol and... I guess I'll go ahead and mention it here because when you see it used in this way, you might be really confused because you might not understand what's going on, but it does cause a potassium shift into the cell. So you will sometimes see albuterol used as one of the ways we treat acute and dangerous hyperkalemia, okay? All right, so then we're going to G in our acronym of drugs. I'm trying to say the two R's. I don't know if you guys can tell that, but um, the G is for guidelines. And what I mean by guidelines is what nurse things do you need to know about this drug to give it safely, to teach the patient, to monitor for, whatever. Every drug is gonna have some kind of special instructions, safety parameters, monitoring, something like that. And I'm telling you, exam questions will love to highlight these little nuggets of information and ask you about them. So For albuterol for the aerosol metered dose inhaler. So if your patient's got an aerosol metered dose inhaler, you want to teach your patient, you know, obviously how to use that inhaler. Um, If the inhaler has not been used for more than a couple of weeks, or if it's a brand new one, they do need to prime it first. And you know, check with the manufacturer of the inhaler, but I believe typically that is releasing four puffs out into the atmosphere, not towards their face, and that will prime the inhaler um, with medication so that when they go to take their uh, real their puff for real, there's actually medication in, the, in there and it'll go into them. So they will release four test sprays out into the air away from their face. You want to teach them to shake their inhaler well before each use. And then once they take the medication in, they should hold it for about 10 seconds and then exhale. And they need to wait about a minute in between puffs on the inhaler. So, a lot of times you'll see patients using a spacer. And what a spacer will do when you're using an inhaler is make sure that the medication gets back far enough and actually into the airways versus just onto the roof or the back of the mouth. So if you're not sure what a spacer does, that is what it is for. Typically, you'll see spacers used more in kids than you will in adults. Of course, the other important guideline you want to follow when administering albuterol is that you want to monitor the patient's respiratory effort and their lung sounds, their work of breathing, and their oxygen saturation levels. Albuterol can, in some patients, actually cause bronchospasm. So if you noticed wheezing getting markedly worse, that could be a sign that they're having um, bronchospasming going on. So you would want to investigate that further. And the other thing to know about alburol is that it can cause dry mouth. So you can instruct the patient they might be more comfortable if they rinse their mouth after they use the inhaler. And then the S in the drugs acronym is side effects. So one of the side effects you'll see the most with albuterol is a tachycardia. And this will occur for a couple of different reasons. For starters, though those beta receptors in the heart are mostly beta 1 receptors, there are some beta 2 receptors there, and they are stimulated by albuterol. So that's one reason. And then the other reason is that beta 2 effect on the vascular spine smooth muscle causes vasodilation. And when you have that vasodilation, blood pressure decreases. And guess what happens to compensate? The heart rate goes up. So when you're giving your patient albuterol, expect to have some tachycardiates. Not at all uncommon. I would say it would be more uncommon for me not to see tachycardia occur. The patient can also have tremors, and that's due to albuterol's effect on the beta-2 receptors in the skeletal muscle. Patients with tachycardia, with tremors, they also have anxiety sometimes when they're taking albuterol. Some patients do not like the way it makes them feel. I would say patients that are used to taking it um, might not complain about that as much. But if you're giving albuterol to someone who maybe they've got a severe bronchitis and they don't usually take it, and then they notice how it makes them feel, they might say, oh my gosh, I do not like how I feel. My heart's pounding. I'm really anxious. I don't like how I feel when I take that medication. So just know that they may complain of that. Patients can have insomnia with albuterol administration. They can have hypokalemia, again, because of that potassium shift that occurs. And don't be surprised if your patient complains of chest pain. A lot of times um, that's due to that tachycardia. It should pass. But anytime a patient does complain of chest pain, you want to be watchful and vigilant that you investigate the cause of that pain. So let's just go back through the acronym really quickly and hit the key highlights from each one. So D is for drug class. It is a beta 2 agonist. If you want to talk therapeutic drug cl- or therapeutic class, it's a bronchodilator, but the main thing to know is beta 2 agonist. For routes, there are many. You'll mostly see it via inhalation. The regular dose range for a patient self-administering two puffs every 4 to 6 hours is a very common dose. For uses, we're going to be reversing bronchospasm. The guidelines will be priming our um, metered dose inhaler. We will wait one minute between puffs and hold our breath and hold that medication in for about 10 seconds after we take um, the medication in. Side effects, tachycardia, chest pain as possible, tremors, anxiety. Some patients can have a paradoxical bronchospasm. So being aware of those things is key to keeping your patients safe and helping to alleviate their anxiety if they're not used to the effects that this drug has. Okay, let's move on and do a quick critical thinking exercise. Are you guys ready? Okay, so we've got a patient. Our patient is Bob. Bob. I think 99% of the time when I have a fake patient for you guys, his name is Bob. Bob has so many problems. And today, Bob is fluid overloaded. He's got a history of asthma, and he has just started taking 40 milligrams of furosemide twice a day, and that started yesterday morning. And now Bob is complaining that his chest feels tight. And you get out your stethoscope and you listen to Bob's lungs, and you hear some expiratory wheezing happening. His oxygen saturation level has gone from 97% on room air down to 91% with that increased work of breathing and that extra wheezing. So what information do you want to obtain before you give Bob a PRN albuterol? So think back to one of the unique uses we talked about of albuterol and how it can treat hyperkalemia by shifting potassium into the cell. Remember that? Okay, so what does furosemide do to potassium? It's a potassium wasting Loop diuretic. So, Bob likely could have a low potassium level. So, I would want to know his potassium level before giving him albuterol because if he's already low ish and we haven't corrected it, maybe no one thought to check a K level. And then we give albuterol, that might be enough of a shift to send him into a dangerous area with his hypokalemia. So that is the key piece of data for Bob that we would want to know before we give um, him the albuterol. So if you thought about that in that brief moment of time that I gave you to think it through, excellent. If you thought just briefly something about potassium, but you weren't sure what, that's perfect. You're on the right path. You guys are doing so great. And before I leave you today, I just want to remind you guys again that Crucial Concepts Bootcamp is open for enrollment. I will keep it open through April 19th so that you can get in there and get enrolled. And this class is for you if you're starting nursing school and you want to be uber, doubly, triply, awesomely prepared to start nursing school ahead and stay ahead. So you can get the information for that by going to straightanursingstudent.com and clicking on the bootcamp in the upper nav bar, it'll drop down, choose Crucial Concepts, you will be good to go. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. I do, oh, you know what? I wanted to tell you about Olivia's cute clothing stuff that she has so one of the gals in our facebook group olivia hi olivia if you're listening she has the most adorable nursing wear like sweatshirts and t-shirts and stuff in her online shop and that's called med by live m-e-d by b-y-l-i-v Medbylive.com. And it's so cute. Go check it out. It's absolutely adorable. I have got my eye on a few things. And uh, yeah, it's going to be great. So go check that out. And then the other thing I wanted to tell you was that next week we are talking about something really important that I struggled with as a new nurse for a long time because no one ever really taught it to me. And then it was one of those things where I was almost too embarrassed to admit that I didn't know. So I had to go and learn it. And then I was—I felt a lot more confident after I did. And it might seem so basic, but it is something that a lot of nurses get mixed up. And that is all the levels of consciousness and what they mean. So there's somnolent, there's lethargic, there's uh, obtunded, there's comatose, like what does this mean? So we'll be talking about that next week, right here on the podcast. See you then. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.